church. Boy, I love seeing all the folks going off to discipleship. How many, when you got saved, you went through a some form of a one-on-one -on -one or a, a, a group-type training as a new believer? You believed it helped, didn't you? You know, Sunday school has been our answer to that for years, and I think that's still true. But I, there's nothing like sitting down with somebody with a curriculum and just face-to-face. -face. I can remember as a boy at our kitchen table, that's where it happened. Dad would bring people over. He was a pastor. And I'd come downstairs, and sure enough, there he sat. I can see it in my mind right now, Rick and D. Ryle. And Dad would sit there, and he'd be teaching them from the scriptures and discipling them. And that's exciting. This is beautiful. I came in here, and I thought, oh, man, this is, uh, can I step out here? It won't fall or nothing, right? Take my It's holy ground. This is gorgeous, and uh, wow, that is unbelievable, and the pulpit, and pastor, this is just remarkable, and uh, it's so good to be here. I brought my wife with me, praise God, I'm glad to have her. This year, we'll celebrate 37 years married, and uh, I was thinking, the other day I was preaching, I was talking about when I was ordained, 1986, Tom Malone uh, put his hand on my head and ordained me 35 years ago, May the 14th of this year. And I just, I'm so thankful for the ministry and, and for this great church. I love this church. I'm telling you, there needs to be a choir throwdown. You don't know what I'm talking about. Down where I'm at, I almost said down where I'm from. <laughs> down where I'm at. See, here's what I don't get. Why is this redneck hillbilly up here? And this northerner's down there. But in the south, I mean, the, the youth choirs, they are off the hook. And I'm telling you, we need to stack, we need to bring this one down there. We'll have, a, uh, we'll have our own fundamental choir convention and have all these choirs get up and have a throwdown, and then we'll figure out who's the best. How many think this one will beat them? Yeah, we're going to do it. And, uh, oh, no, that, not a competition, but, man, that was great. And I have to say the teams were good, but those kids blew my socks off. And uh, I love the sign language and all, and uh, that was so great. I appreciate you coming tonight. This has been a strange, strange year, hasn't it? Uh, you know, I remember years ago, I'll get to the message. Everybody's all right, amen? I just feel like I'm home, so I'm just talking to you a minute. I remember years ago, my dad would preach. Dad, he, he was a, a drunk. He got saved in 1970 after a, a Billy Graham crusade. And uh, God changed his life. A soul winner led him to Christ. And his Billy Graham crusade got, got him thinking. And a uh, soul winner led him to Christ. And, uh, and uh, dad, dad used to preach. So this is in the 80s, you know, 90s. Uh, and dad used to say, you know, if we could get rid of the bars, close down the bars. If we could close down, and this is what he used to say, if we could close down the strip joints, if we could get rid, you ready for this one? Of sports. He said, if we could stop sports, shut down the sports, if we could, if we could close down the shopping malls, dad used to say this, I could hear it in my head. He said, if we could get the, 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 the beaches and the lakes shut down, Maybe we'd see revival in this country. Yeah. Guess what? 
Are you ready for something? This is, now I'm going to give you a little opinion. We're going to the Bible. God did all that. And I am convinced God allowed what happened in November because we just didn't respond like we should have. Uh, let me give you some history proof. 1918 ended World War I, but also a pandemic that killed 20 million people. God said, I did all that, and America didn't respond, so God sent a Great Depression. Then God sent a Dust Bowl. We still didn't get right. Didn't see revival. God said, okay, how about fascism and imperialism? And, and Hitler began to march through Europe. World War II, 60 million died. We still didn't see the revival we ought to see. The Cold War, Vietnam, right. communism, and on it goes. And listen to me, folks. Every bit of this is in the hand of our sovereign God. So what are we supposed to do about it? What are we supposed to do now? Uh, I want to tell you what we need to do is do what he said. Right. Turn to God. And I can't tell you how refreshed, I feel like bawling as I talk about this, how refreshed I am by coming in this place tonight and just sense in the spirit of the living God and the happiness of God's people and the joy among God's people. People, don't you dare get used to this. Oh, man, do I feel something coming on. Because some of you, I think, might be used to it. It's the way it is. Let me tell you something. This is not the way it is across this country. You thank God for what you have. And thank God for a man of God that just turns it on, just keeps going. You don't know what is on his shoulders. You don't know what he's carrying. But the man is going forward. Amen, church? Oh, I'm so encouraged. I've been blessed since I came to Baltimore, even though it's uh, overcast. And you see, I'm red faces because it's sunny in the south. <laughs> I like to run, and I run every day. And uh, I get my, my grandkids say, Dad, uh, Grandpa, why are you so red and we're so white? I said, because you live in Seattle. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. I'm going to the Old Testament tonight. Please go to Genesis chapter number 41. I'm speaking on the life of one of those great Bible characters. And in my opinion, the best Bible character that foreshadows and typifies the blessed Savior, Jesus Christ. And I'm talking about Joseph. I'll not be preaching his life and his whole story. And most of you, if you've been saved any length of time, have heard many sermons on Joseph. And I'll not try to exhaust his life. Certainly it's one worth studying. I mean what I said, his life is probably the greatest, best Old Testament example of Jesus' life. And Joseph, the son of Jacob, comes on the scene, and you know uh, how he was one of the sons of Jacob, and we'll get to that in just a few moments. But many illustrations and lessons can be dra uh, drawn uh, from this son of Jacob. And uh, Joseph was a man who enjoyed the favor of his father. And I think that's wonderful. The fifth commandment's a big commandment in the Bible. Yeah. Honor thy father and thy mother, that it may be well with thee. And Joseph was a man who was greatly favored by his father. You know the coat of many colors. Jacob made no bones about it. Joseph was his favorite. Can you imagine being a sibling to that? Yeah, right. So Joseph was favored by his father, but 
not only was he favored by his earthly father, he was favored by his heavenly father. And you know how he was, right? God gave him a gift. He was a dreamer. He was a man who had dreams, and, uh, and many of these dreams got him in trouble. Someone asked me some time ago, uh, Pastor, do you think God still uses dreams? And I really can't answer that question. I, to speculate and presume that I know the answer to that, I do know that God speaks through His Word and through the Spirit, but I don't know. I, I believe God could use dreams. There's no doubt about it. Matter of fact, I have dreams, but rarely do I remember them. When I do remember them, I'm always quick to tell my wife about them. We get up early in the morning and we read our Bibles at the same time. Now, we don't have the habit of reading together uh, because I read the King James, she reads the NIV, but, but just kidding. She has her reading place and I have mine, but we read at the same time. You understand what I'm saying? We have a little breezeway in our backyard and uh, where we live, the weather is conducive year-round that we read there. And, uh, and what will happen is in the morning, uh, once in a while, she'll say, how did you sleep? And I said, well, I slept great, but I had a dream. And boy, does she love that. She says, well, tell me about it. And so I'll tell her about the dream. And she's got the habit of interpreting my dreams. <laughs> I'll tell her I dream something crazy, and she'll, she'll pause, and then she'll come off with her <laughs> interpretation. And uh, am I telling the truth? You know that's the truth. And, uh, but dreams. And Joseph was a man who had dreams. It was his dreams, a gift of dreams, that got him into trouble. And his brothers didn't have a problem with his dreams until one day he had a dream about them. And his dream was that he would be elevated and they would be doing obeisance to him. And so because of that dream, Joseph being exalted and his brothers uh, being obeisance to him, they despised him. And they cast him in a pit. You know the story, how they intended to kill him and they decided, why don't we make some money off him? And so some traders going into Egypt, some Ishmaelite traders came by and they bought him from the brothers and he goes into Egypt. He All because of his dreams. And so Joseph is now separated from his father. He's separated from his fatherland. He's now in a foreign country. And there Joseph, again, finds favor. He's found favor with his father. He's found favor with his heavenly father. But then he finds favor in Potiphar's house. Stay with me, church. I'm driving to a point. And in that house, he finds favor and becomes a great and powerful man until Potiphar's wife gets some ill ideas about him and tries to seduce him. And you know the story. He's accused of uh, uh, being uh, uh, immoral. And then he's put into prison. He goes from favor to prison. You see that in his life again and again. He goes from the pit to the prison. And after he was in the palace of Potiphar, now he's in the prison, and it wasn't too long, he finds favor again. Think about that. You cannot keep a child of God down. Whatever comes into our life, I'm just throwing you something to think about. Whatever comes into your life, our Heavenly Father is constantly blessing His children. There's no doubt in my mind that's how our Father works. He's always smiling on His children especially when his children are seeking his face. And so there in the prison, you know the story. It wasn't long, he's, he's running the prison. Everywhere Joseph went, he, he found authority and, and favor. 
And Satan couldn't stop him, even in the prison. So in the prison, he's over all things. And then another dream. A dream comes into the picture. Two men in the prison, the butler and the baker. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. You know the story, I hope you read your Bibles. When you read your Bible, this stuff just clicks. The synergy of Scripture. And so in the prison, the butler and the baker, they both have a dream and Joseph interprets them. And he says to one, it's good for you. The other one, you ain't got long. And so we know what happened. The baker is hanged, but the butler is brought out of prison. And as he was going, you remember what Joseph said to him? Please don't forget me. Remember me. But he was forgot two full years. Forgetting. Boy, there's a sermon right there. There's nothing more painful than to be forgotten. I think about the fifth commandment I mentioned a moment ago. God bless you that take care of your aged parents and care for your aged parents. Don't forget your parents. Minister to your parents and be a blessing to your parents and honor your parents. But to be forgotten, I was speaking with someone just today and we were speaking and, and he mentioned to me that he lost a son. And I'll mention him a little later in the message. And as we were talking, he said, I lost it. I had a 21-year-old son die of leukemia. We kept talking, and a few minutes later, I said to him, I said, now, what was your son's name? And he looked at me, startled, and he said, well, his name was Daniel. Why are you asking? I said, because I too lost a son, and it really matters to me that somebody remembers his name. And he said to me, what was your son's name? You see how that works? Forgetting is a painful thing. It's a tremendous pain. And Joseph, all that he did for this man, all that he did in giving him hope to come out of that prison, he said, please don't forget me. But here's the good news. God never forgot him. God never forgets his children. And so these dreams, God uses them. And then in chapter 41, while Joseph's in the prison, Pharaoh has a dream. You see how God works everything together. And so Pharaoh has this dream. He puts out the word. He wants to know what the dream was. Let's pick it up at verse number 15. The Bible says there in chapter 41, And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, I've dreamed a dream, and there's none that can interpret it. And I've heard say of thee that thou canst understand a dream to interpret it. And Joseph answered Pharaoh, saying, is not, It is not in me, God shall give Pharaoh an answer of peace. And so Pharaoh tells him the dream, and skip down to verse number 39. After, uh, after uh, Joseph had given the interpretation, Pharaoh said to Joseph, verse 39, For as much as God hath showed thee all this, there is none so discreet and wise as thou art. Thou shalt be over my house, and according unto thy word shall all my people be ruled. Only in the throne will I be greater than thou. Stop the reading there. Follow with me now in the narrative. For seven years, there's plenty. And then seven years, there's famine. This is happening right in the middle of that. Just before Joseph's brothers come and, inter and, and are introduced again to their brother who they earlier had sold into slavery. Just before all that happens, we're coming right into a very pivotal time in the life of Joseph. God is blessing him again. He's finding favor again. Things are coming together in his life. God is favoring this man, Joseph. Again, we see growth, and again, we see these things happening in his life. And in chapter 41, I want to just key in for the time I have left what happens. And let's pick up the continued reading in verse number 46. 
It says, And Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went throughout all the land of Egypt. And in the seven plenteous years, the earth brought forth by handfuls. And so verse 48 and 49, uh, we see Joseph uh, master organizing uh, the provision for what was about to happen in Egypt and on the world. That is this worldwide famine. Joseph, with wisdom and carefulness and instruction by God, I'm sure, he saves the world single-handedly. And then look at the blessing that God sends into his life in verse number 50. And unto Joseph were born two sons before the years of famine came, which Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, priest of On, bare unto him. And Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh. For God said, He hath made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. And the name of the second called he Ephraim. For God hath caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. Here again, Joseph's blessed. These two boys come into his life. He'd been in captivity, really. Uh, not actual captivity, because he's actually ruling in a place he didn't want to be. All of that unfair happenstance in his life brought him to this place. And now Joseph names these two boys. This is a very unusual passage of Scripture. Most of the time in this culture, the females would name. But Joseph, it's very clear, he names these two boys. And I want you to see what he named them. Manasseh and Ephraim. And then God, by the Holy Spirit, gives us what was in Joseph's mind when he named these two boys. Now, I want you to listen to me carefully. He has that first one born, and he says, your name will be Manasseh. Your name uh, will be forgetful. He said, I'm going to say, your name is God hath caused me to forget. Amen. But then a second boy is born. Now notice the order. He says to this one, your name is Ephraim, because God has made me fruitful. Here's the message. You can never be fruitful until you forget some things. And I'm preaching to you tonight as a pastor, not your pastor. But I believe with all my heart we stand at a crossroads in American history and in church history. We've got to come to the place if we want, uh, if we want to have fruitfulness. You cannot have uh, Ephraim without Manasseh. You've got to have both. And God says uh, uh, to Joseph, name your son Manasseh because you've come to a place in your life where you're going to forget some things because I'm going to make you fruitful. Oh, may God help us get the lesson tonight. Let's take the text and understand perhaps some of the things that Joseph might be referring to here. First of all, we know clearly he's talking about his family. Notice what he said, when he says, God said, he said, for God saith he hath made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. You know what he's talking about? He said, first of all, he said, I'm going to forget all the toils of my family. Listen to me, church, I'm preaching to you because there are some in this room, if not most of us, that have some things in our family life that we need to forget. You need to turn loose. I'm going to get personal tonight a little bit. I don't know your life and I don't know your story, but I've been pastoring for 35 years. I've been ministering to people for many, many years. And you might think your family is such a mess, you could never be something for God. But Joseph said, my family's a mess. 
and I'm going to have Manasseh because I'm going to have an Ephraim. Think about Joseph's family, would you please? His father Jacob, I'm being very careful. I don't want to cast any dispersion on any of the saints of the scriptures. But Jacob, ladies and gentlemen, was the father of 12 children by four different women. Cut it in a way you want. That is not God's design. That is not God's plan. Here he is, a, a boy that comes from four, a, a, a son of four different women. A mess of a family. He had a daughter named Dinah, Jacob did, who was violated. And later the perpetrator uh, was killed by Simeon and Levi. You can see that in Genesis 34. Listen to me, any way you cut it, that's not God's plan. Not God's plan. The oldest son of Jacob commits incest with his father's concubine. That's the family that Joseph had to deal with. It goes on. The ten sons of Jacob attempt to commit fratricide. That is the murder of a sibling. That is a dark thing. And they wanted to kill Joseph. Later Judah, by the way, the name Judah, the son of, of Jacob, the name Judah means praise. Later Judah, uh, he, he commits uh, immorality with his daughter-in-law. And has a child by her. I'm telling you, that's a family with troubles. Joseph said, I'm going to forget it. I'm not going to let it define me. I'm not going to let it be my story. I mentioned my father a few moments ago. My father was a drunk. He got saved. He sat all three of us boys down on a couch one day. Darren Russell and me, all three of us pastors for well over 30 years each. And dad set us down. I'll never forget it, the walk. He just started walking. And he kept doing this. And, and, and I don't know if I told this here before or not. I, I, I can't remember. But, but uh, I'll never forget it. He said to me and Russell and Darren, I think I was nine. He said, boys, if I ever find out that you've ever tasted any form of booze, wine, beer, whiskey, any of that, if I find out about it, I will kill you. I will cut you up into small pieces and bury you in the woods. You're giggling, but we weren't. Why would he do something like that, Pastor? I'll tell you why. Because his daddy was a drunk. An Irish drunk, by the way. Aaron Gobro. His daddy's daddy was a drunk. Six generations of drunks. Preacher, would you talk about your heritage and your legacy? Thank God, that's what we want. But mine was a bunch of Irish drunks all the way from County Cork, Ireland. You listen to me. My dad was absolutely convinced that he's got to stop this thing. Stop it now. He said, you're not going to do this. And I am 56 years old and I've never tasted a drop of any kind of booze. Root beer, yes, but nothing more than that. You see why you're saying all that? Because some of you've got to get past your past, your family toil, your family toil. I wish I could say that every family's got a bright past, but we don't. How about Aaron? His two sons were killed by God, the high priest Aaron. Uh, How about uh, Gideon? His son was a murderer. How about Samson, the unholy Nazarite? How about Eli and his two worthless boys? I'm telling you, you've got to get to the place where you say, God, I know what my past is, but I'm going to forget it so I can be fruitful. How about David? 
Should we go into the sordid story of God's sweet psalmist? I don't want to cast dispersion on him, but he absolutely had a horrible family. Solomon? The wisest man that ever walked the earth? 1,000 wives? Would you just process that? (laughs) I say this carefully. I, I made this note and I said, be careful. God had two children. Both of them messed up. I'm talking about Adam and Eve. God's calamitous couple had sons who one killed the other. I'm just telling you, if you let Satan exploit your family past, whatever turmoil you're in tonight, I don't know what you're facing. It could be your husband-wife relationship. Uh, Joseph absolutely was a man not unlike us that had to look at his past and forget the toil of his family to be fruitful. We could go on and on. Isaac and Rebekah played favorites. It never works. Folks, it never works. Jacob and Esau, it never works. Sarah, Sarah gave her husband a sight woman. Lot committed incest with his daughters. I'm just telling you, Satan knows how susceptible we are in this thing of our families. I wish I could say, if you take your kids to Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, youth, youth meetings, camps, revivals, and youth conferences, that everything would turn out just right. But you know what? Statistics are sadly against us. What are we supposed to do then? Keep on keeping on. Don't you dare give up. By the way, listen to me. Don't you dare start reaping the harvest. Time will fix some things. Don't you give up on your children and quit praying for your grandchildren. You keep on keeping on. Uh, I'm saying to you, if you are facing uh, uh, something about your past, uh, something in your family that's keeping you from being fruitful, here's what I'm encouraging you to do. Like Joseph, forget about it. Quit allowing it to define you and be fruitful for God's sake. A fellow said to me years ago, he said, when my dad died, my siblings took everything. He said to me, in my company, he said to me, my brother wears on his wrist a watch my dad gave me as he was dying. And after he was dead, my brother took it. And he wears that watch to this very moment. And here's what he said to me, I will never forgive him for that. This is a Christian. And I said in my heart, I didn't say to him, but I said in my heart, he will never be fruitful for God. You can't. I know it hurts. And I am not at all. I'm old old enough to say I kind of know maybe how some of that feels. But I do know this. Nobody really understood how deeply it hurt Joseph to be betrayed by his brothers, to rob him of a lifetime with his blessed, loving father, Jacob. You think about that. And that man said, I'm not going to let my past determine my future. You're not going to be fruitful if you don't let go of that thing. Are you listening? I'm sorry your marriage didn't work out. But don't let that failed marriage ruin your fruitfulness. God's going to give you a bright opportunity if you just have a Manasseh so you can have an Ephraim. Let go of the past. Then let me say secondly, 
Not only did Joseph learn to let go, forget the toils with his family, I believe secondly, he learned to let go the, the troubles with his friends. And I'm talking about what happened to him in the prison. That's a painful thing. How in the world? Have you ever tried to reason that out? I mean, this guy's in prison. He knows he's going to. These people don't go to prison uh, like we think about. These guys are literally every day thinking they're going to be killed. And this, this uh, baker and butler, and the butler especially, he comes out of the prison and he, he uh, 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 gets up there and everything's great for him. And Joseph says as he's leaving, here he is still in the prison, please don't forget me. And for two years that clown forgets him. And every day, and by the way, I believe it was this way. I believe that prison was under the house of Pharaoh. Uh, history actually suggests that. So every day, Joseph's down there and he hears, there's that butler again. There he is. He's up there. Listen to him. He's serving. He's up there serving. And every day he's down there listening to the pitter-patter of a guy that forgot him. And every day he's thinking, my friends forgot me. You know, betrayal and forgetting is a painful thing, isn't it? Somebody forgets. Let me talk to you as a pastor for just a minute. Try being a pastor. You pour your life into some precious saint of God. There are always little kids did the sheep thing tonight. They're all God's sheep. But some little thing comes along. A little sparkly church pops up. Little happy thing starts up over here. Oh, pastor, we love you. And there it goes right there. We love you. We love the church. We love everything here, but we're leaving. Now, now I'm not, I don't know anybody's story here, but let me tell you something. Every time somebody leaves the Calvary Baptist Church, it rips the preacher's heart in two. So what's he going to do? Give up and quit? Sell cars or build pulpits? No, you know what he's going to do? He's going to forget that to be fruitful. Amen. You've got to let that go. Yep, I grew up under some of the greatest preachers uh, in, in our modern history. They're gone. Some of them are gone and had to go. Listen to me. I don't know what to tell you about all that. I have no ex explanation for it. I'll never forget when I was a boy, uh, my, my father uh, was a good friend of a pastor in Indiana. And his son was my buddy. And my dad sent me down one day. He said, son, I got to tell you something happened to Pastor so-and-so. And I said, well, what happened to him? He said, well, I'm going to just tell you the simple truth. He's going to prison. I'll never forget it. Destroyed me. I sat in his living room. I played with his kid. We were buddies. And the whole time that we were friends, growing up and me respecting him, he betrayed me. His, his friendship as it was, and I was just a boy, but that friendship was something that was a trouble to me. And I remember as a young man, it worked on my spirit. And God called me to preach when I was 11 years old. And the first thing I thought about was him. It'll mess up your fruitfulness. What in the world are we supposed to do about it? We can't fix everybody, but I tell you what I can do. I can forget about the troubles with my friends to be fruitful. Joseph did that. I don't know who might have let you down. It might have been a youth pastor. It might have been a pastor. It might have been a counselor. Somebody, a friend, a Sunday school teacher.
I've said many times, these new Christians right now, I've said about new Christians, two things come suddenly rushing into the mental reality of new believers almost within six weeks. Is number one, the sudden realization that they have two natures. That old nature and that new nature, they do this. And boy, is that a train wreck. I mean, they go out of church and on the way home, they find themselves in 7-Eleven buying a pack of cigarettes. They're like, what am I doing? That old nature's at work. Hello? Hello? You know what? You got saved. Only one thing really changed in you. That's your destiny. The rest of that is a work of grace. It's got to be worked out. Just because you got saved doesn't mean you got rid of all that stuff. It's, it's God wicking it out of you. So the sudden clash of the two natures. But I said there's a second thing. It's the sudden realization of the imperfection of other Christians. And boy, does that smack in the face of spiritual reality. What am I trying to say? I'm trying to say you and I have got to get past those friends that might have disappointed us. Because it's only going to get worse as time gets closer to the return of the Lord. The love of many shall wax worse and worse. And don't get all thrown under the bus when someone fails. Remember, everybody's got feet of clay. Hello? Everybody, every one of us. I'm not excusing anything, but I'm saying Joseph, he had to get past that. By the way, who, what's he going to do? Is he going to call upstairs and say, uh, Pharaoh, I don't think it's fair that I was forgotten down here. He didn't go on Facebook either, amen? <laughs> Get on there and tell everybody how upset he was with the, with the butler. You know, I just want to say to all my Facebook followers, it's really sad when someone who says they're your friend and the blah, 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 blah. Am I sounding familiar? Yeah. Amen. Oh, I'm saying this. Move past the hurt into fruitfulness. Jesus, he healed everybody. He cast out devils, did miracles, mercy, wisdom, provision. And what happened to him? Where were his friends at Calvary? They all forsook him and fled. And that's when he prayed, Father, forgive them. Paul, at his last, forsaken by Demas. I read it today, 2 Timothy 4. You want to talk about heart-wrenching chapter. Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. Uh, uh, he mentions Alexander the coppersmith, who did, he, it says, he did much evil against him. And I love what Paul said. He said, he said, Lord, reward him. Folks, that's our recourse right there. Leave it to God. Quit trying to even the score. Cut it out. Let it go. Stop living your life to get even. It's ruining you. You don't even know it. It's eating you up. You'll never be fruitful until you're forgetful. You've got to turn it loose. I was speaking with a man today. I was getting my shoes shined. I was praying all day. Actually, for the last week, God, give me an illustration that'll fit into this message. I, I got so many of them, but I, I didn't want to be kind of, you know, uh, used to it. I wanted it to be unique. And I, we got into uh, Atlanta, and um, there's one shoe shine open in the whole, the world's largest airport. And it happened, we were in B terminal, and this was an F terminal. So praise the Lord, I lost 40 pounds today getting to the shoe shine. 
And I shot all the way across that airport to the international end. And there's a fella uh, at the booth by himself. And I stepped up and I said, that's a shoe shine. That's a shoe shine chair. Are you a shoe shine man? He said, that's what I do. Have a seat. So I sat down and did two, of my, two pairs of my shoes. Of course, I didn't have them on both at the same time. But, you know, <laughs> I was carrying the other pair. I sat down and got to talking, small talk, and, and uh, I said, now, you've been shining shoes how long? He says, since 2005. I said, why did you start in 2005? He said, well, I, I just uh, beat uh, prostate cancer. I said, wow. And he said, then after that, I was diagnosed with colon cancer. So I had prostate cancer surgery, then I had colon cancer surgery. I said, wow. And then he said, and right at the same time, I lost my 21-year-old son, Daniel. I mentioned him earlier. I said, are you kidding me? He said, no. And then right after my son died with, uh, with uh, that blood cancer, leukemia, he said, I was diagnosed with leukemia. I said, hold it now. He said, no, wait a minute. My sister died of leukemia at the same time, my twin. I said, Prostate cancer, colon cancer, leukemia, lose a son, lose your sister. He said, and the only way I made it through is Jesus. I'm the preacher. I didn't tell him I was a preacher. I just sat there and I just said, tell me your story. And I had a connecting flight, by the way. So I said, so make it quick. And I sat there, and he did my shoes. And he said, I felt all alone, like no one knew where I was. He said, I, every day I'd wake up. My friends ended up going away from me because everything happening to me was so bad. They didn't want to be around me because everything was so bad. But he said, in the middle of all that, I found the Lord. And he said, I turned to Jesus, and I found strength in the Lord. And he went on and on. And I'm sitting there, and I'm holding it back, man. I'm holding it back. I'm wearing a green Irish tie today, but bless God, I want to get happy like a real happy Irishman. And, and I'm sitting back, and he kept going on and on. He said, now I spend every day of my life. He said, here's what I do. I shine shoes in the daytime, and at night what I do is I go downtown Atlanta, and I find homeless men, and I show them how to shine shoes. He said, I bring them to my chair that I have downtown, and everybody knows me as the shoe shine man. I could give you his name, I won't. But uh, uh, he said, and these homeless people come to me. He said, because I figure the best way to help these homeless people is to give them a way to make some money and get off the street. He said, and I just found that if I pour my life into somebody else, I can get past the fact that every day I wake up with leukemia and I wake up every day with a broken heart because of my son. Hey, listen to me. Get past your past so you can be fruitful again. What's our problem? We're stuck in the past. Something's got you hung up. You lost a baby. That hurts. I, we never lost a baby. I have two daughters that did, though. Lisa had Macy. Macy turned six. Macy is absolutely amazing. One day I was bragging on her. I said, Lisa, aren't you glad God gave you Macy? Here's what she said to me. She said, yes, Daddy, but there's a little baby in heaven I'm going to meet one day Amen. that God took just before Macy was born. See, Lisa could have been hung up on that sorrow. 
but she moved past it into fruitfulness. I'm hurrying. Oh, may God help us. Now, let me give you the last thing here. And, and I, I was going to spend a lot of time on this, but I can't. But let's get this last one. Joseph, he, he, he forgot the toils with his family, the troubles with his friends, and guess what? Also, uh, the trials with his own faith. Imagine Joseph, all because of his dreams, he got into all this trouble. I don't know what you're dealing with tonight. You might be dealing with a faith matter, a toil in your faith. A, a job's being offered to you, and it's going to take you out of church. An opportunity to make some money, and you're going through this reasoning process. It's a trial. Listen to me. Forget those things of this world and look to the things of God, and He'll give you the victory. Don't get hung up over here. Uh, something about your, 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 your uh, income, your home, your family, whatever you do, move past it. Pastor, could you go to that song? Oh, God put this on my heart. As he gets ready, we're ending the message. I'm going to just cut it right here. In order to be fruitful, you've got to be forgetful. This song the pastor's going to play and sing has been on my heart. I want you to listen to it, but I want you to come too. And start coming. Let's stand together. Start coming and say, God, I want to lay this thing down. I want to lay this thing down. This thing I need to forget it. I've got to forget it. Listen to him as he sings this song. Come, come, bring it, bring it. I've had many tears and sorrows. Yes. I've had questions for tomorrow. Bring it to Jesus tonight. There have been times I didn't know right from wrong. Oh, thank God. But in every situation, God gave blessed consolation that my trials would only make me strong. Listen to it. Listen to it. What it says here. Through Through it it all. Yes, amen. Through it all, I've learned. I've learned. Trust in Jesus. Jesus. I've learned to trust in God. Listen, here it is. Through it all, through it all, through it all, I've learned to depend upon His Word. Now before he sings that next verse right now on this altar, I want you to name that thing to God. God, I've been holding on to this thing that's been eating at me, and I want to forget it to be fruitful. Don't you leave this altar or this place of prayer until you lay it out before God. Listen to the pastors. He sings this next verse. God help you. God help you, church. I have been to lots of places And I've seen a lot of faces There have been times I failed so long All alone. Listen. <laughs> but in my lonely hours Yes, in those precious lonely hours, Jesus let me know that I was His own. I'm His own. Listen. Through it all, through it all, I've learned to trust in Jesus. Yes. I've learned to trust in God. Through it all. His word. 
I thank God for the mountains and I thank him for the valleys. I thank him for the storms he's brought me through. For if I'd never had a problem, I'd never know that he could solve them. I'd never know what faith in God could do. Sing that chorus with me. Through it all, through it all, I've learned to trust in Jesus. I've learned to trust in God. Through it all, through it all, I've learned to depend upon His Word. I've learned to depend upon His Word. Wow. What a powerful message and what a powerful truth. Sometimes you have to just let it go. Yeah. Right. It'd be a great day in your life when you realize you don't have to